still worth it if I have more good moments than I have bad moments, mm. right? And that the intensity of those good moments and like how good those are, are better than the, the intensity of the bad moments. Yeah. Um, and because it all balances itself out, but it's, it's crazy. Entrepreneurship is like a drug, right? In a way you have these like euphoric moments and then you have these like withdrawal crashes, if you want to put it that way, if you want to compare it to that. So, um, so as an entrepreneur, you're kind of, kind of addicted to the feeling of the euphoric, like we just want to sail. Welcome to the It's Not That Deep podcast. I'm your host, Deepak Sharma, and on this podcast, we aim to connect communities through conversation. I truly believe that fundamentally, all humans are the same, and we all kind of really want the same thing. So I like having conversations with people from all kinds of different walks of life to explore just that. Today, I sit down with my good friend, Corey Ellis, CEO and co-founder of a really cool company called Grocer. Uh, Grocer is a social enterprise that empowers remote regions to grow fresh produce locally by outfitting shipping containers into full-fledged hydroponic farms. Grocers even appeared on CBC's Dragon's Den, uh, which is an experience we discuss later in the episode. Corey is also the former president of Enactus U Ottawa and has been an entrepreneur as long as I've known him. I had a lot of fun chatting with him about our university experience, getting involved in clubs, and making a meaningful impact on the world through social enterprise. Uh, I do have to apologize for this episode uh, because the audio quality might not be what you're used to. Uh, we had a little bit of issue with a file getting corrupted, uh, but we're still able to bring you a podcast this week. Uh, I love bringing this kind of content to you guys, but I need your help taking it to the next level. And here's how you can do that. Uh, please subscribe on whatever platform you consume podcasts on. Leave a rating and review. Share the link to the podcast on all platforms. Subscribe to the email list on my website, it's not that deeppodcast.com, or just contribute to my Patreon page. I hope you enjoy the podcast and remember it's not that deep. Corey Ellis, welcome to the It's Not That Deep podcast, brother. Thanks, Deep. It's great to have you here, man. Uh, you're a super interesting guy because you're not only my uh, good friend from university, but um, you're also the uh, co-founder of Grocer, a social enterprise that empowers uh, remote Canadian regions to grow fresh produce um, uh, locally using modular hydroponic systems and we'll definitely get into all so that mouthful, eh? <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely get into all that but um you've, you've appeared on dragon's den uh you're the former president of enactus u ottawa uh you used to work at transport canada you got you got a lot of cool uh experience under your belt so i'm super excited to have you here man right on i'm excited to be here this is gonna be fun yeah man have you been on a podcast before I don't actually, I think this might be my first. Damn, yeah. bro. That's crazy. I love it. I yeah. love it. That's hype. Uh, so you've been an entrepreneur pretty much as long as I've known you. Yep. Um, you know, since university, since I met you, um, we shared an experience on Enactus. Um, let's talk to people about that a little bit. Let's first talk to, about, like, what is Enactus and then our roles in it. Oh, man. This is taking me back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Enactus pitch. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Um, well, so we were both in the same year at university. We went to business school together. Uh, 
And Enactus was the student club, basically, that started up social enterprises. So it was an opportunity to start these social businesses, but also um, have students be a part of the launch of that. So it wasn't just like, you know, talking about it, we were actually implementing stuff. Uh, so, so yeah, we'd have the, the way that group is organized is there'd be like a number of teams. There was like a hundred or so people. I oh, remember. a lot. Man. Yeah. There's I a remember lot of our meetings that we'd have. It's like, whoa, this just grows and grows and grows. It was crazy. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, and so we'd be organized in teams and each team would be focused on a particular project. Uh, so like you were on project fly for a long time, which, you know, worked with, uh, marginalized and at risk youth across the city. And we were giving them skills so that they could go out and, now, I don't know if you know this actually, but one of the participants of Project Fly is actually leading the program now. Oh, no Ethan. way. Yeah. Ethan. So yeah. Oh, so it's my. pretty sweet. I did not know that. That's yeah. so powerful, man. Yeah. So it's full circle, man. Like, it's, it's really cool to see people like him, like, do really well for themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's cool to say, you know what, we were just students in school and whatever, and this is what we did on our free time when we had a minute, uh, between part-time jobs and school and, and getting all the rest of the stuff done. But that time had an impact. And I think that that's what, you know, what really matters to, uh, to people like us, right? Is like, let's not, not, let's not just have a job and whatever, get a paycheck. Let's do something that actually, uh, you know, that we give a shit about. Absolutely. Something that matters and something that actually makes an impact. And yeah. like, you know, at first, um, when I started university, I had known some of the older people who were already in Enactus yeah. and shout out to those deadbeats, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I had already known a bit about it, but I didn't know much about it. I was like, ah, sounds kind of cool and whatever. Mm. But as soon as I got to get involved, it was like, oh, dude, this is hype. And it was a social part of it too, man. Like, all of your buddies are in, in Actis. Like, mm -hmm. you get to know and make, like, make close friendships with people around you. Well, exactly. You're and spending so much time with them. And, yeah. like, you're all commonly stressing about school together. Yeah. And, you know, you go out to social events together. And, you know, we'd go to these regional competitions and, and, yeah. and national competitions and whatnot. And, you know, Ottawa U in our years did quite well. <laughs> they did. They did. Yeah. yeah well, and got to keep it up now. Absolutely, man. And it's not only just about that. Like, yeah. you know, it all comes back to the actual change that's, that's being dealt out. And, like... Going back to like what Anactus is about a little bit, and I remember it sounded so cheesy to me like back in the day. It was like uh, entrepreneurs, uh, action, and and youth, right? Like, yeah. but that's what it is, and it's not just like like people listening might think, okay, this is just something that some Canadian schools here and there are doing, dude. It's worldwide. Yeah. Like, I think it's in like over thirty countries yeah. have an Anactus chapter at their respective universities and. And thousands of students are making, like, incredible social enterprises that are, like, actually changing the world. And, like, it rewired my brain because being in business school, um, we're taught all about, you know, business being about profit. Yeah. Returns for your shareholders. Right. You know, just short-term thinking and, like, yeah. how can we make the most, yeah. the most money for yeah. our uh, shareholders and, and stakeholder needs in this short term and I was like I don't know man it, it could be like a bit more than that you know and yeah. this proved to me that that uh, it was so my next like, kind of question for you well not really question but you took it to the next level in terms of your involvement I was you know a team member and you know director here and there blah 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 but yeah. you became vice president and then eventually president of Anactus talk to us about the evolution of how you started out and how you became president of this organization. 
Oh man, I think I'm a bit crazy sometimes. Like, <laughs> I take these things on. I agree. And then a month in, I'm like, what the hell did I just do? Right. So, so it's an element of that. Is is that uh, you know I I uh, I like to push myself, and I think that is all it comes down to. Is you know I told myself. Uh, so in high school, I was kind of a deadbeat student and whatnot. So in first year, I was like, all right, let me see how well I can do in school if I actually tried. Mm-hmm. And I did all right in school. And then in second year is when I really decided, you know what? School is fine, but I, I don't know. I don't see any value in putting 110% into that. Mm-hmm. Like I'm happy just coasting, yeah. going through school, getting my degree and whatever. And and then I was kind of looking and I was like, you know, what what would actually fire me up? Like what would what would actually keep me going? And... and uh, I found an actress, and it was the social thing first and foremost. How did you find being it? honest? Oh, there, okay. So um, we were at a dinner, and this is first year. Uh, in one during one one week, they had this like reception. I don't think they do it anymore, but they they would organize people around tables, and there was a gala or dinner or whatever. And two senior students with eight or whatever. The, all the rest were were first year students. Okay. And the whole thing was, you know, these students that were senior were involved in doing stuff, and they were there to talk to you about what they do. And I sat down next to Ashmal Sitar, who was uh, the co-founder of, or, or president at the time of, of Anactus. And uh, he like, he started off talking to the table. He's like, all right, I'm going to take 30 seconds and I'm going to guarantee you that you're going to join Anactus after this. You know, in typical, in typical style. Yeah, exactly. Fashion. Yeah. And so, so I was convinced. I mean, I, I bought the pitch. <laughs> I, uh, I believed in it. And so... Uh, I applied. It was, I think, me and Tahir uh, applied uh, at similar times mm-hmm. uh, within the same few days. And then, uh, yeah, we joined. I joined Cassie, mm-hmm. uh, Cassie's team on Accelerate yeah. at the time. And, yeah, man, I just, I kind of love the atmosphere of being around the office and stuff. And then um, I'm a bit of a workaholic, so I just kind of got shit done. And then they were like, all right, well, I guess you're the only one <laughs> around here that can take over once we leave. And, and so I was like, cool let's see how this goes and yeah like i said once i was in it i was like okay full, I signed full up dive for this. In. you have to because yeah. otherwise you know you can't you can't really say you're going to do it and then afterward just kind of you know take a step back and not do it when you're the guy everybody else can can drop out but like you have to be around and still doing it otherwise everything kind of falls apart so and and side note like that's what i find makes you such a powerful leader and that's like such a powerful leadership like trait is like you know, going back to you being a workaholic and, and being in the shit. Like, I would yeah. see you sitting in the fucking Anactus office <laughs> with this keyboard. Because oh, you man. fucked up your keyboard. Oh, yeah. Spilled something. Yeah. This keyboard on top of your MacBook laptop, <laughs> just writing grants and proposals <laughs> at, like, fucking 12 at night, 1 a.m. You, you, you worked your yeah. ass off. Yeah. And to speak to that, though, like, as a leader you were always able to take on the accountability and, and do the things that, you know, some people just don't want to do, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's it's comes to the territory, I guess. But uh, yeah, but that was kind of the backstory. That's why I got into it. I, I found out I loved it. And then, you know, the Synactus thing got me up to Nunavut, which is where we saw everything going on. And, and that's how we And talk about that project there. a bit at first. Oh, man. Well, it was just kind of a... You know, to be honest, we were trying to find a way to get up there. We, we Kathleen and I and, and Ajmal knew that we wanted to work in the north for a long time. And Why? So, what was it about they the north? Want, that Kath, just... Kathleen and Ajmal had gone up once before with um, like a youth mission or whatever. They send these groups of students up and you get to learn about whatever this place, wherever you're going, they tour across Canada. And, uh, and this one was in the north. 
And, you know, I think you got to go there to really understand it, but it's, it's this place where, you know, um, like, first of all, it's a beautiful place. But second of all, you're looking at people's quality of life, their standard of living, and you're like, this can be improved, right? With, with effort and energy, like, people's lives can get better. And if you, I don't know, talk about where is your time best invested, in my mind, I felt like, hey, I can actually make a real difference here. So the delta, let's say, if you want to call it that way, of, like, improvement of life, as a, if you were to measure that, would be greater in a place like Nunavut than it could ever be in a place like Ottawa. Like, the, the work we were doing in town was great, but, you know, people, for the most part, you know, had a roof over their head that, mm -hmm. you know, didn't get them sick and stuff. And, you know, so all these things, we in the north, that wasn't the case. So we said, let's just go up and learn about it. So we did this uh, workshop for youth. RBC came in and, and funded that. So that just paid for us to go up for two weeks or whatnot. And it was during that time that we were like, okay, we're going to do this five-day workshop, and then we're going to have another handful of days to just, like, go out there and talk to people. And let's come back with, like, some actual ideas just to brainstorm on, like, problems. So let's go interview people, government, nonprofit. We did, like, 350 meetings, Whoa. not in that trip alone, but in the first year where we just met with people to say, you know what, what are the problems? What type of solutions are you looking for? Like, really kind of did, like, market research, yeah. like customer research. And uh, we had some crazy ideas, man. The, the first idea that came out of it was, let's build this shipping container complex with housing mm, and businesses that. and, like, all this I stuff. I remember the blueprints for that. I was like, bro. <laughs> exactly. We brought in, like, Carleton's architecture school. They designed blueprints for us. Like, we got creative, but that was the first idea. It was going to, you know, tackle all these problems at once. And I think we maybe were naive, you know, young and we were ambitious and we wanted to get that done. So we were pursuing that. And then within that sole idea was that there were going to be social enterprises that were uh, renting space. Mm -hmm. And that was going to be how we were going to pay for the housing. And one of those social enterprises was a farm that produced food in a shipping container. So it's crazy how you think when when from these all these interviews and we, we just kind of landed on the idea to be honest and that that's what created grocer was this kind of uh the trip and then just this process of and then identifying the need right but i, and I don't think we even had you know figured it out quite yet it was just okay. more of a uh, exploratory just, we, exploratory yeah, yeah we just had all these ideas and then we kept throwing shit against the wall until mm. something stuck so that was that was the idea that's that how super it came. powerful because like what you just mentioned right like most, I mean, most Canadians, I don't know the whole statistic, but I think like 90% of Canada's population lives like within, I don't know, something like 200 kilometers of the U.S. border, right? Yeah. Someone's going to have to fact check me, but definitely close something to the close. U.S. Yeah. border. Yeah. And so as most of us live here, we kind of just forget that there's a whole other Canada out there, and but there are people living there and in these remote regions and Dude, like, I remember seeing a snap, I, maybe it was you or Ajma or someone sent it, it was like, Tropicana for like 18 bucks. Oh, yeah. Head of lettuce, 8 bucks. Like, yeah. Like, just ridiculous food prices. And yeah. then, I was like, nah, like, can't be, you know? Like, I just thought, naively, you don't, first of all, you don't think about people in those remote communities much. Yeah. Yeah. And then, if you do, you're like, oh, well, they're good, though. Like they're, they're Someone, someone's taking care, care of them. Yeah, it's exactly. accounted for. Yeah, but like you guys kind of figured out that like, nah, man, it's it's yeah. kind of like a bit harsh reality there, and, and not just with food, but with all kinds of different issues and whatnot. What were some of the the 
the biggest issues that you guys kind of figured out just by talking to people? We, we came back with top three, and top three was housing. Uh, you know, people didn't have access to the wait list for housing is like thousands of people long, so it's going to take years to get through. Uh, so if you want a house, you join a wait list. Um, uh, food, so food insecurity, there's, you know, four to five houses in the territory of in, with, with Inuit children. Uh, go hungry every every single day or go hungry at least regularly uh, so that's crazy and then um, and then youth employment so how do we like you know if we're going to do something we can start with youth right the same way we did with an act it's like youth are the kind of future of the of the north so those were the three big uh, I guess hot hot topic uh, issues that we were like uh, that we, we were excited about so the reason we I guess landed on food in the end was a the business model kind of stuck and, and it we found some traction there. And then the food thing was cool because we could create a food business like a farm business that never existed before, which you know creates jobs, creates profits that can be reinvested in the community, that kind of stuff. And it solves or helps solve the food insecurity problem, right? Or the food production, food access problem. So um, that's why at the end of the day, this is kind of exciting because you kind of do both. It's a for-profit business, uh, you know, that, that people are creating up there they're producing jobs, they're producing, but then all the outcomes, all the other stuff uh, is, is all positive too for their, their neighbors and stuff. So that's, that's really important that it's for profit yeah. because then that becomes now attractive. Like, like people like to point towards non-profits for, uh, to go solve a problem like this, yeah. traditionally. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. The traditional mindset is like, ah, oh, well, there's got to be like a, a non-profit or NGO or something out there that can uh, fix this issue. But... Definitely, like, going out there and seeing how it really is and what it's actually like. Nice save, by the way. <laughs> I was like, that was I can't hear you. Day. All of a sudden, it just goes dark. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of lost my train of thought, but uh, just just being out there and just seeing that, like, that's uh, that's awesome, man. And then, so how do you go from that to then coming back, linking up with Alita, and like, yo, let's actually do something about this. It's it's pretty crazy actually. So we there's this program at U of O that um, it does uh, uh, you it allows you to start your business in the summertime, which is pretty dope. So the province basically says, you know, okay, if you're a student and you are entrepreneurial, you want to start a business, uh, apply to this thing. You'll get uh, salary money, so you get paid as if you were in a job, like whatever minimum wage, but you get paid, and and just work on your business for four months and see where you can take it. It's an application process and stuff, but that is ultimately, <laughs> frankly, why, like, why we even got to start this. We applied with two different ideas. One of them was the Nova thing, which was the big complex shipping containers, and the other one was grocery. Um, and I think at the time we even called it the grocery or something. It was this whole. <laughs> it was a bit different, but um, but we were like, you know what? If we can have the opportunity to do this for the summer, our Enactus project will be better. That was our our mentality at the mm. time. Was this is an Enactus uh, kind of first mentality. Uh, let's get ourselves in good shape for competition. We'll have all summer to work on this. So we'll start off like the school year. Which what was that program called? Startup Garage. Startup Garage. Yeah. So it's, it's that, I on. guess like an accelerator. What do you call it? Like what, what do you call Startup Garage? Like what? what it's, it's not a grant, but it's like a program that anyone can apply to? Or is it just TELPER students? Like, any any U of O student or oh, recent cool. grad, I think if you've even graduated within a year, there's ways you can do it. Oh, if dude. you're in a master's program, you can do it. We gotta link this below if anyone's watching yeah. and you know they're they're interested in like, yeah. pursuing something like that. Like That could be the kick you need, you know, instead of 
you know, and this is something that like I wanted to talk to you about as well. Might go off on a little tangent here, yeah. But it's like, you never wanted to. I mean, you you needed money. You you still needed money, right? Because yeah. still need money to live and you know be in school. And fortunately, you lived with your parents and were able to save some money. But you still need money for expenses and stuff. But you never worked a job. Yeah. No. While <laughs> while doing all this like like. Being full in on an actus, working on all these projects, grinding. I think you you were a TA, right? I was a TA, yeah, and I I worked for the government in first year. Yeah, but, like, you didn't hold, like, you couldn't, like, you straight up, there were no hours left in the week to work. Yeah, and I I was lucky for that, right? Like, I was able to, like, I had savings from high school and and the first year, but I was able to put myself through school and, you know, live for free, basically. So if I didn't have free rent, I would have had to get a job, and then I... Wouldn't be able to do all that, all that other stuff. But, but dude, I remember days when, like, <coughs> we're in the like an actor's office and like, you know, like, gosh, should we go out? It's like, can't, bro. Like, we we're both broke and just like, ah, oh, like, should we, <laughs> should we order food? Like, I can't, bro. Yeah. Might just might just get a hot dog from the hot dog guy or just something just to like survive. But, yeah, like, yeah. Dude, like, we, you really were in life the shit. Student. Like life, life as a student. Life as a student, but yeah. also a student entrepreneur. But you yeah. were thinking so much bigger than that. Like, you could have just went and got a government contract for that for those summers and you know yeah. made some money and like been okay, but. You're, you're not a very selfish guy. You're like, no, nah, man, you know what? Let's try to do something. And it started off for an actus. Yeah. Like, Let's yeah. do it for an actus. Yeah. How did that evolve beyond that? I, I, I think I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Like, it's just kind of in my DNA. And I, I always thought that, that wouldn't it be cool if I had an idea that was viable enough to be a business. So I always have thought through that track. It's part of the reason I decided to go to business school is, you know, let's kind of learn the trade, right? Or the tricks of the trade, if you want to put it that way. Uh, and, uh, and frankly, I think like once we started getting traction, we had to get serious or we had to decide it was, you know, is this going to be just this thing we're going to do during school and we'll start this grocery thing up and it'll be an actus project and we'll just hand it off to the next group of students, which was an option, right? Or do we think it, it, uh, it warrants us to like pursue this full time? Are we excited enough about this to like make this a real business and actually go all in on it? And the decision was somewhat made for us because we had to, during this summer that we were working in Startup Garage, we had to um, decide if we wanted to make a big purchase. There was like a big investment that we had to make and there's no way an actress was going to be able to pay for that. Uh, and so Alita and I kind of went, okay, here's, here's the d- decision point, right? Are we going to go out and take out a loan or are we going to go out and you know do this on our own? And we ended up going out to BDC just like the, the Business Development Bank of Canada, taking out a personal loan, or a business loan, but on a personal guarantee yeah. uh, for Alita and I uh, to start up the business. That's the first kind of injection of cash mm-hmm. beyond getting creative with grants that actually helped us kind of get launched. So, um, so yeah, that was the deciding factor. That was when the decision was kind of made for us. We were like, all right, we're in this. And then that September when we had to go back to school, we... Uh, for the next couple of years while they and I, we still had to graduate, mm-hmm. uh, but we had this business. We like alternated often uh, our semesters <clears> and stuff so that one of us could be working on the business. Um, and then the following summer, June of 2017, that was our first hire. So by that point on, I stayed full time on the business and then we do, we do night classes and stuff so that uh, we could get our school done. Damn, uh, man. Yeah. That's a serious grind. And then, yeah. but then when were you guys both? done university i graduated in may of 2018 
Okay. Uh, so a year and a bit ago. And Alita just graduated this past May. Wow. So she was still night classes all the still time. grinding. Yeah. yeah. She, see, I want to talk about Alita too a bit, man. She is yeah. so intelligent. Yeah. So it's smart. Yeah. Like, And it was a complete accident that we kind of, um, you know, got in business together. Because she was just, she happened to be that first year student that Miyaj Mal Kathleen chose to come to Nineveh with us. Because mm -hmm. we were like, oh, this, she has potential, right? Like, let's invest in, you know, a young student that is going to come up with us you know, work with us on stuff, and uh, for this boot camp, the first boot camp we went on, right? right. And uh, yeah, and it just, man, it worked out. It definitely worked out, man. That's yeah. super hype. Uh, um, going back to you know, being in the in the university grind, you decided to study entrepreneurship, right? Did you yes. start off that way? Because I, I'm pretty sure you switched, right? Yeah. At one point, were you like in management or something like that? Yeah. So I was in, um, I was in finance when I originally registered in the school, uh, and I was like, all right, let's, let's you know learn business this way. Let's kind of learn all about finance. It's a hard skill uh, that I can take with me. Uh, and then I ended up switching into management with the entrepreneurship option. Oh, so okay, entrepreneurship okay, okay. is like in the management program. Right. So I ended up, I'm pretty sure I graduated with that. I'm, <laughs> I didn't. I never actually checked. To be, to be completely honest, uh, that's hype. Man. That was that was anyway. What no, I, but I like I did. the reason I asked that, and feel free to have some of your beer, man. Don't yeah, feel yeah. like don't feel like I'm interviewing you. No, no it's I'm, we're legit just having a conversation. Yeah, yeah. I'll probably finish this. I'll just finish this after. Is <laughs> it's harder with the mic? No, no, dude, move it. Like, dude, yeah, yeah. don't worry, don't worry. Right like, on. legit, this is all good. Yeah. Uh, but like, what I wanted to ask you is, um, do you feel like studying entrepreneurship? actually helped your entrepreneur craft in no. any way no man yeah no 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 offense Stephen Dace you're a great prof but because a lot of people say this man that like your know, business school doesn't actually teach you business you got to do business right and how how accurate do you feel that statement is 100 percent. I, I mean 90%, let's mm, say, because okay. there are some things, right? Absolutely. Go back to finance and accounting. Those are hard skills, right? And then there are, you know, the environment of school definitely built me as an entrepreneur, right? So it wasn't the in-class, you know, we wrote a business plan for a class type stuff that actually taught me stuff because yeah. that, you know, let's be honest, I didn't really put any effort into that <laughs> anyway, right? Um, yeah. But, and it's because you look at it and you say, okay, we're going to do this once. It's just kind of an exercise and, and it's, it's not seen as something that, is kind of real where, where you get experience is like the school environment does allow you to like talk to a lot of people that are in business yeah. you do co-op you can do the startup project program you do an actus like these are those are the areas where yeah it, it could be thing. considered school right yeah. but it's like the extracurricular it is the extracurricular it's like, business, yeah. it's like they they talk about networking a lot right yeah and, you know, you kind of scoff at it as a first year, like networking. Yeah, you want me to wear a suit and <laughs> yeah. go to these weird little, like, networking events. Learn how to handshake or yeah, whatever. Learn the how to, like, they have a yeah. workshop on that. They actually do. I remember yeah. these workshops. Yeah. Oh, my God. Such, <laughs> I don't want to say BS because it actually, there's a space for it in corporate, in the corporate world. Yeah. Um, you do learn something yeah. from that. But in the space of entrepreneurship and stuff and actually going out there and, and, eating the shit and actually going and having to do things that you probably never thought you'd have to do. Yeah. It doesn't really teach you that. But no, no. 
there's no class on hey by the way you can be the ceo of a company and you're mopping the floor still and and people say that but it's literal <laughs> like yeah even today right like we're cleaning up and whatever and you're putting out fires seven o'clock at night and you're still you know you still have to keep going it's not to it's not that glamorous to be honest right like the day-to-day is not very sexy the the people have this perception in like entrepreneurship oh you're in like a like quote-unquote successful startup uh how's that like and, and stuff like that oh you must be flying private jets everywhere you right. go and driving a lamborghini and yeah. like having all these models around you all the time exactly right, Corey? Yeah. right, right. <laughs> this wish. must be the I, reality yeah. sign me up for that <laughs> i don't see that such but a lie it, man it, it is and, and so that's kind of the challenge i see with like the way we talk about entrepreneurship is this like sexy thing when in reality it's this it's more like a roller coaster that you are strapped into and then you can't get off mm. to be honest right so it's like you are in you're buckled in and you're on for this ride and you've been on for this ride since day one where like you signed up for this so fucking go for it right yeah and and it it's that framing too that does help you get through it because you know okay there's going to be this like low low yeah but the roller coaster does swing back up and like just stay buckled in so that's how i kind of see it it's less of like a glamorous thing and more of you know just kind of something when it the going gets tough just push through it and then things will get better right so i love that let's talk about the process going back to grocer a bit now yeah. of you know it's unilita and now you know you've got one employee what's that like the hiring process what's it like now looking for people who are gonna you gotta you gotta sell this dream to them and also make sure they're actually gonna ride for the cause talk to me about that How, how's that you know, even, so when we were originally starting out, I, I can't claim that we had this, like, beautiful hiring process. We didn't. It was just very much like, hey, let's post this on Indeed and see what we get back. We we got a grant to help pay for the first few months of their salary so that we could, you know, it always takes time for someone to learn, right? So when they actually start creating values, maybe, like, for in sales, it's like six months after you hire them. Right? So your first when they position was a sales position? Yeah, okay. yeah. So Brandon Van is our first hire, and he was... Uh, he was just wrapping up his MBA um, on the East Coast. It was in Montreal because that's where his parents were from. And by the time we got a hold of him, we were like, hey, we've got this job in Ottawa. He had not, you know, unpacked his stuff. And he was like, I'm, I'm willing to move. You know, let's, so we, we brought him in. We, we had a bunch of Skype conversations with him and just started talking to him. And I don't even know how luck, you know, has it. But it, he was like the perfect fit for exactly what we were looking for in sales. He had like a nutrition degree. He did an MBA in basically social enterprise. It's called community economic development. So you've got like the nutrition science side of it. You got the business, but the like social business side of it. And this guy's like, yeah, I care a lot about like food and stuff. I don't know much about the North, but I like care a lot about this. Um, and I was like, yeah, all right, this is this is cool. Dope. You you know you believe in what we're working on and, and that this could actually do things, do positive things for people. So. Uh, so he was our first, uh, our first hire, and he's been with us ever since. Nice. He leads up sales now. Love that. Yeah. And then now you've grown to a point where you have how many employees total? We are thirteen full time now, and then co-op students get us to seventeen. That's amazing, man. So it's a lot. That yeah. growth is amazing, and people don't realize because like, you're not moving high volumes of shipping containers, shipping container hydroponic no. farms. Okay. No, no. It's not a volume business. No, this it's is really about. Not. Yeah, and and, and and we will definitely get into the specifics of the business itself, but like you guys are targeting these communities that are remote regions of Canada. My like next question for you is like, what's the sales process for that? Like how do you even reach out to like I wouldn't even 
know where to start. Like, and neither did we. Yeah. Because we went, you know, we were like, when we started out, when Brandon started out, it was like, hey, we had this idea, we, we wanted to do it in a Callaway, and now how do we bring this everywhere else, right? And we had sold maybe two at that point in time. Yeah, we had two communities signed up, and we just had reached out cold by email to them. So just, hey, I'm Corey, I do this thing called Grocer, and here's what we do, do you want to... And that was in Manitoba, right? That was in Churchill. Yeah, yeah Manitoba, northern yeah. Manitoba. And uh, uh, turns out we ended up like helping, like we wrote the grant application for them. We're like, here, sign here, you know. They submitted it, the grant came back, like, yeah, we this is a great idea, let's do it. So that, that was the first deal, but then you have to scale that, right? So sales process early on was not well defined in terms of, you know, how do you create a system that you can bring people into and as salespeople there, they can be successful, right? So there's a lot of trial and error. We did a lot of email, realized that that alone wasn't going to do it. So now today it's like a mix of email and calling people. And the important thing is at the front end, you have to like figure out who is a good fit for this kind of thing, right? Mm. Is it cities of a certain size and bigger like you know some some communities are just maybe too small to just need this something like this right yeah. so then we know that they're not going to be able to, to purchase this anyway um and, and those kind of criteria so you said but criteria. Could, could those communities not be the ones that need it most maybe and, and at some probably, point yeah you know do you want to yeah. get to that definitely yeah. but as a business you have to say okay what is our current product mm. right able to do right and you have to be honest with yourself that you have this you know, mission you're on and you got to be a re- you know, you got to be conscious that, okay, you know, maybe we're not there yet, but it's a means to an end. We still need to sell this, you know, widget that we built to customers to Absolutely. keep us alive. Right. Yeah. And so, and that'll get us there. And if we keep doing that for a number of years behind the scenes, we have lots of time to do our indie and get to places where we can help address all the needs. Absolutely. But it's bit by bit. Right. And you got to be selective. So, uh, yeah, that, that's how we, we, originally kind of started it and that was our mentality was let's just start selling these let's get to a place where we can you know have a consistent sales process and we're only just starting that now in terms of seeing excuse me the um the sort of the actual results of that and and getting there so it's taken us what like three four years that's um, but that's that's all part of the process right yeah. and it's going to snowball like crazy yeah. uh because you said you started with with a couple, and then now, how many are you at? We're at 20 now. That's so nuts, man. Yeah, so That's incredible. Two our first year, and that was really, frankly, there was like three or four months left in the month, and three or four months left in the year. So two, uh, and then we built, I believe, six the, the second year, and then now we're into year three of, of sales, and uh, uh, yeah, we did all the other ones of 12. So we went basically two, six, 12. It's triple and double. That's great. Um, which is good, yeah. And now we're right at a point where, you know, we want to be pumping these out one a month. Mm. That's our goal. That's that's what we're at. And one a month. I love that. Yeah, uh, that's really good. Man. Nice to track. You know, like yeah, you yeah. know, if, if you're building one a month and you're installing one a month and you're bringing one a month online, uh, it business is good. We're happy. Let's talk about the logistics of it. You got a shipping container. Yeah. Like, like let's just take a step back for a sec because I'm familiar with it, but maybe for people listening who are like the hell is going on? How do you take a shipping container and grow vegetables in it? Let's just take a step back and talk about how that whole process works. Right. How much does one cost? How do you get it places? Talk to me about the process a little bit. Yeah, so we take a shipping container shell. It's insulated. So it usually is a massive 40-foot-long fridge, actually, to carry produce. Yeah. Uh, and 
instead of it being warm outside and making it a fridge inside, we like flip it. So we heat it up so that it can be in like minus 50 and still grow and still be warm inside. How do you heat it up? Uh, the lights actually, for the most part. Okay. So until it's minus 25 Celsius, we don't actually turn on a single heater in the unit. Great. Uh, it heats itself. Uh, and then after that, there is a computer system inside the, the shipping container that will tell the, all the, the sensors tell the computer, you know, oh, we need a heater on. So then the equipment turns on automatically. And that's true for all, all the equipment in there. It's, it's all automatic. Uh, and so, yeah, we take the shipping container, hydroponic system. So it's, there's no soil. It's all water. We deliver nutrients straight to the plants on the roots. And then it's all LED lights. So we're able to replicate like the spectrum of the sun, point it, give it to the plants, uh, add CO2 to the air because plants need CO2. And if you give them more, they grow faster. Uh, and yeah, there you go. And then you're cranking out, you know, 500 vegetables a week. Uh, you're feeding, that's, you know, if, if 100 households have five vegetables uh, a week, there you go. That's 100 households. Fed. How do you, how did they choose? Let, let's just take like a, a, a random uh, place in, in Northwest Territories or something, sure. a community of like 10,000 people max. Yeah, let's take like Yellowknife, yeah. Yeah, uh, you got a shipping container. Yeah. It's producing these 500 vegetables a week. Yeah. How am I getting these vegetables to people's houses? How do you determine who needs them? Are you working with grocery stores? What, what's going on? How are people getting this on their plate? It really depends on, on who the customer is. We have customers who are grocery stores. Mm. So in Yellowknife, for example, the grocery store locally is a co-op grocery store. They own the grocery. It's right behind the store. Oh, that's amazing. The produce manager goes out, harvests, and puts it on the produce <laughs> shelf. So that seems so efficient, dude. Yeah, that just seems like how it should be done. Exactly. You, it doesn't even have to be in like uh, remote regions. This could be scaled to a point where you got grocery stores right in on the other roof. places. Just like make it. Oh man, I'll, that's the vision. I'm that's, getting too that's, hyped. <laughs> that's what we're going for. So long term, long term, that's what we would want to see. Right? It's like, hey, this. This problem of food access is actually much bigger than just Northern Canada. Mm -hmm. The problem's acute there, it's really bad. But hey, Canada's actually pretty food insecure, right? 80% of our food is imported from here, two states in the US. So oh. what would happen if like, and it's California, Florida, Arizona. California? Oh, Arizona. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, for, for lettuce, for example. Because yeah. uh, Arizona is like a desert, they have like great sunshine, very few cloudy days, and lettuce loves that. So, okay. uh, so that's where we get it. But like, man, what happens if something happened to that food supply right like all of a sudden it's like when e coli happens like the shelves are bare yeah. for two weeks yeah. right and so uh, as a country we're pretty like food insecure in that sense if you want to use that definition and uh um yeah we're, we're hoping to tackle that long term but again we're we have to be honest with ourselves like we're not there yet we're <coughs> where a grocery store in ottawa downtown ottawa can just say yep we're going to do this and it's going to cost us less than the current alternative. Mm. We need to be able to show, hey, you can do this uh, and it'll be much cheaper than what you're doing already. Right. Right now, we can do that in certain categories, like certain product mm. lines that people grow will do cheaper than what they buy market price. Right. So we're starting to pick at that and getting better and improving our our uh, efficiency and our production to, to basically allow for that. But that's, that's the long term where we're going. Right. But yeah. getting back to it, so... You know, you get the, how do you get the shipping container out to them? How much does it cost? Yeah. And, and how do you outfit it? Yeah. How long does the process take? Yeah. So we have a factory that we uh, contract out in, uh, on the West Coast. So the containers come in, they'll, you know, be in the, on the Pacific Ocean on a ship, and then we buy them out. We, we pick the ones we like that are in good condition, come into the factory. They build all this stuff, pack it all up, and then it goes on a truck. 
And then if it's going up to Nunavut, for example, it'll go on a trek to Montreal, across the country, and then it'll load up on a barge that goes from Montreal around Newfoundland you know, up to Nunavut. So it's like a, it's a few weeks journey uh, to get up there. Okay. And then uh, you know, once the container arrives in the town, they offload it, plug it in, bring a garden hose to fill up the water tank. That's it. It's and then turnkey. Our t- turnkey. It it's shows just up ready, ready to, go. to go. Yeah. Dude. The team shows up, they train them, and they install it. And that's it's, epic. That, that's it. That's all there is to it. And, uh, you know, typically projects like a container itself, fully outfitted, is like 200,000 uh, range. And people will pay it off in like four or five years. And it's your team that's going out and, yeah. and, and like making sure it's all set up and ready to go. And are yeah. you training somebody there uh, to, you know, I, I've... I've heard mentioned that it's like 15 hours a week, something like that, yeah. uh, of, of, you know, to keep it running. Yeah. Are, you paying, are you paying someone? Are they paying someone? How does it work to keep it maintained and working? We uh, will go up and install and train it. So you know, that to us is our kind of quality guarantee, right? We're like, we know, okay, we left the system, came out of the factory, because it never goes to Ottawa. We don't never see it, right? It goes straight from the factory straight to Nunavut, right? Yeah. And so we want to be there to be like, okay, did it make it on, you know, without getting damaged? Did everything show up as it was intended, as it was designed? And so we do that always. Um, we train the customer locally, and then it becomes their business right away, right? So they purchase this piece of equipment for their business. Mm-hmm. And so they're, you know, bringing in the revenue from the produce. They're the, the real farmers, right? The real people that are having an impact. You're not taking a cut after. It's it's a one-time no. yeah. purchase. Boom. But you are you are helping out if any issues come up, right? For sure. Yeah. yeah. So like, what are some of those issues? What are some things that you've gotten some fires? You've got to put out like an angry customer calling you up. My lights aren't working. We we've actually never had a, a really angry customer to be honest. We we've always had really really positive uh, relationships with people, and so yeah, the, they have lifetime support for their unit. So if their grocery system lasts thirty years. We will support them as long as the containers, you know, on site and still growing produce. So we're on the end of the phone, right? There's a team within Grocer that all they do every day is customer success, right? They're coaching new farmers, they're training new people, and then they're helping people as they go through make smart decisions about their business. Uh, and sometimes it's yeah, troubleshooting. So I mean, we've seen everything under the sun, right? Where, you know, if you you get this new fancy, you know, grocery thing, you're super excited and you bring 150 people through it and then somebody's got a bug on their shirt and then the bug goes onto a plant and then mm. it spreads, right? So that that type of thing, because it's a sealed environment, if you break that seal, you introduce new outside things, mm. they'll grow like crazy just like the plant. So we've seen stuff like that. And, yeah. and it's just, you know, depending on the scenario, how bad is it, we have like a decision tree if you want to put it that way of what is the solution right the one thing you took away from university yeah a decision tree <laughs> i paid 40 grand for a friggin decision tree man. to learn how to... <laughs> that's too funny yeah. man yeah. yeah worst roi ever no i'm kidding i'm kidding shout out to telford yeah, man exactly. it's, it's actually very easy to judge uh because we came out the other side Exactly. Right? Yeah. We don't know, like, you would have never had a chance to be involved in an actus or, you know, yeah. you would probably have never met Alita. I, we would not be doing this podcast right now. Like, yeah. It's all just, you know, it's very easy. Hindsight's twenty twenty to just be like, ah, yeah. that piece of paper. But, you know, that's, you know, that's not to say that every minute of every assignment we did provided value for us. Absolutely sure. not. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, think, I think that's 
fair. I mean, even the school would probably acknowledge that, that, like, there's parts of the program that are just, you have to do because whatever the province says, yeah, I don't know. Exactly. I, I maintain that, like, I could have got the equivalent education in two years. Yeah. Not four, four yeah. and a half. Yeah. I, Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I could have learned all the same things yeah. that actually matter. Yeah. Um, but anyways, Cole's getting notes. back. Just get to Cole's notes of the classes, like, all right, prof. I don't need to know the syllabus. What do I need to know? Let's just dive into it and get it yeah. done in a month instead yeah. of four. Yeah. A crash course on this. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> Getting back to it, though, handling the troubleshooting, handling, you know, customer complaints, stuff. but clearly you guys don't have that many. Um, it sounds like this, this business is really scalable. It's solving a problem. What's next? How do you, how do you get to the next level and, and, and what's going on right now? we have to keep pushing the envelope like the the worst thing we could do at this stage is get comfortable mm, can't right? stagnate right because mm. you know stagnation is just you know means death for a company like ours at this stage right so we have to see you know okay what is that next opportunity that we think is gonna double and triple for the future for future years right mm. we've been able to double and triple in past years but what is gonna get us to that next to go from 12 to 25 from 25 to 60 70 containers every year right so um so those are the things we're working on and then on the research side you know i can't divulge too much of that obviously yeah, yeah. but it's you know what are our customers telling us are things that they wish they could do with their unit that you know we can't do for them right now or that the technology is limited by and so like pushing the envelope on that to say you know what, we're in a position where you know we've got some really really smart people doing research for us uh, you know, we recently brought up a guy from the States who's an expert in, in, uh, in this area. He's got a master's degree uh, in, in horticulture, and we brought him up uh, to immigrate to Canada to work in Ottawa for us to, to really look at stuff closely. <laughs> That's so hype, man. Yeah. yeah. Now you're changing lives, bro. This it's, is so incredible. It, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Every time, you know, it's crazy. Every time a new person joins the team or a new customer comes online, like that's another group of people whose lives are positively impacted by what we're doing it's crazy and that's what so makes cool. it all worth it at the end of the day all the hard oh, work all the fires you got to put out all the stress that you have to deal with and manage yeah it's all worth it because you're actually changing and impacting lives yeah it's that one email you get from a customer like i'll every now and again i'll get like a personal email from a customer saying hey you know you and i you know i, I don't typically deal with a lot of customers face to face all the time so it's like hey just wanted to write you a note to just let you know how incredible like your team is or like what you guys are doing is amazing like it's been everything we were hoping for and that's just like oh man this is this is cool you know that that's what gets what keeps you going yeah through those like low lows because there are there are those right absolutely right. Let's face it, so. talk to me about some of those man what's that like oh man because that's what people people don't see enough of man yeah. it's like yo it's hard yeah. you're out here it's i i can't do what you do yeah i know a lot of people who can't do what you do and like it's not easy, yeah. and you know you have a good support system around you, which is which is great. But t talk to me about some of the dark days, man. How, how's it? Yeah, no, there's been there's been some tough days, right? Like there's times where we were like, you know, we don't even know if we are gonna be around in a week, you know, to be honest, right? Like and and the it it weighs on you because and it's often about cash, to be honest, right? So like you've got this. Uh, you know what you would call a runway in front of you. That's how much time you've got till you burn all the money you have in your bank account right now, right? And so there's this. Basically, it's like a countdown timer. That's always in the back of your mind as an entrepreneur. Even at the state we're at today, right? We're doing great. Our, we've been mm -hmm. profitable since day one, but 
that's whenever we end our year, right? Mm. On our financials, at month 12, profitable. But month four, five, six, we weren't set, maybe we were like, holy shit, we're like burning money faster than we're bringing it in. Like, we're not gonna be able to, to keep this up much longer. So this countdown clock starts running down. And if you don't get a sale, it doesn't like regenerate or whatever, right? Absolutely. So, so that's tough. And you're reinvesting a lot into the business. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure just knowing you, and we don't have to get into specifics, you don't pay yourself a fat salary. No. I know that for a fact. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, this, this is like people don't see the sacrifices. Everyone, everyone would probably sit down here and be like, oh, you're a CEO. Right. You're a co founder. Oh, you must got it good. Oh, you know, bringing millions in sales. Yeah. Oh, he must be. It's all set. Yeah. He's, he's good. Far from it. But Far realize, yeah. but but like people don't realize it's like yo, month to month, you're like I we don't even know if it's gonna. That's that's nuts, man. Yeah. Yeah, and then you you think too like, you know, all these people have, you know, they believe in grocery, yes, but they believe in, like me and what I, made a promise to, right? And so you've got these employees that have moved from across the country, from the US, to pursue this thing that we've set up and this vision that and the mission that we're on. And so you take that personally, like I take that personally where I'm like, man, I, I owe it to them. You know, they gave me their confidence. They gave me, uh, you know, their trust in this opportunity and I need to like pay it back to them, right? Like I owe them that. And so um, that's why like weighs on you because you're like, hey man, if this doesn't work out, I'm not just, I can't just walk away and you know, dust myself off that easily. It's going to be that, you know, all these people will also, you know, lose their livelihoods, right? They, some of them have kids, some of them, they all have, you know, a lot of them have mortgages, like they have bills to pay too, right? And yeah. uh, not to say that it's the end of the world and, and, you know, there are businesses that don't succeed in the end, but that's what's on your mind, yeah. as, you know, as we go. So um, thankfully, there's less of that these these days. Mm -hmm. um, we, we've done okay, but it's it's just different types of challenges. So now it's, when is the right time to like start spending versus what we expect to bring in, right? So we're not worried about maybe paying the bills as much anymore. We're worried about that runway still though, right. in, in the context of like, hey, if we decide to hire one or two more people now, how, how soon will we actually start seeing money come in? Mm -hmm. And like in, in eight, 10 months, are we still gonna have enough money to keep keep growing? You know, So that's that's what we're working on. But yeah, it keeps you up at night sometimes. It's, uh, it's, it's a lot of like, Hard decisions, yeah. And, and sometimes risk. you have like really shitty kind of <clears throat> moments, and then within five six minutes, you have to be able to go out there, put a, put a face on, and like you have to have your regular weekly check in with your team member, you know, and, and act like everything's normal. You know, in your mind, like you're just going crazy, right? And and you've got to get through your day, and then five or six o'clock at night is when you actually get to sit down and do your work because all day you've just been managing and working with your team to make sure they're able to get their job done, but you don't get to your inbox until five o'clock, right? Uh, so it's stuff like that, right? Where, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's long hours, but it's it's a lot of fun. And it, like I said, it, it is all worth it. And in my mind, this all this all made, makes sense and it's still worth it if I have more good moments than I have bad moments, mm. right? And that the intensity of those good moments and like how good those are, are better than the, the intensity of the bad moments yeah um and because it all balances itself out but it's it's crazy entrepreneurship is like a drug right in a way you have these like euphoric moments and then you have these like withdrawal crashes if you want to put it that way if you right. want to compare it to that so um so as an entrepreneur you're kind of kind of addicted to the feeling of the euphoric like we just want to sail we just you know 
we just kind of, you know, locked in a new person that's going to be joining us and we, we hired, you know, uh, headhunted a person that we really wanted and we got them. So those kind of moments you're, you're hyped up, you know, and, and it, it keeps you going. Love it. Love your perspective on that. Yeah. Uh, no wonder it's taken me so many months to get you here <laughs> on yeah, the podcast. We, we've been, we were trying to schedule this for a hot minute. I know, but I I'm know. glad I got you here, Doug. Yeah, we've played phone tag for a while. Um, dude, this is, this is incredible. Talk to me about how you balance it all. Because it's I know it's not easy. And yeah. just from hearing you talk, how do you find peace? That's probably the, the area that I have to work on the most myself, right? If I'm being, uh, uh, you know, self-critical, it's, it's, I'm a freaking workaholic, right? So I work my, my ass off and I know, uh, I know I need to take a break sometimes. So I'm, I'm getting better at doing that. Um, but I, I haven't figured out, there's no balance. It's, <laughs> it's like sometimes life is work. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's fine as long as it's kind of time, time bound, right? Like you can work your ass off when you know it's the busy season and you have two months or a month like an accountant you know audit season you mm. like work your ass off for those like six weeks eight weeks whatever it is but then once that's done you can reset to your normal pace right and you can keep up so uh yeah mental health as an entrepreneur is super important it's something that we don't talk about enough but that like hey it's sorry to you know take a break and take a day off right like there's nothing wrong with that and so um so it's something that that you know you have to be aware of you have to make a conscious choice like i need to you know take a step back here or you know this week's been crazy you know i need to just and so what i started doing one of the things i'm i'm happy i did early on was i built a habit of going for runs that's what i was going to talk to you about yeah so i, I run a lot i would you know run pretty much every weeknight and that's just where i get to like blow off my steam like i just put in earphones and just take off and, and take off for an hour and like don't even think about anything at all. Don't think about work. That's your meditation. Your, exactly. And, and you go to the gym, you know how it feels where you can just like leave everything behind and then you come back and you're, you know, you're in a mindset that's a lot more productive, right? So even though you might start the run kind of in a, you know, glum mood or whatever, like you're feeling shitty, you go for a run and you're like, you come back and the problem hasn't solved itself, right? Obviously, but you chit, you, you see it differently, maybe. You, or feel, you just feel better about better. it and, and you can deal with it better yeah or you're just like now i'm tired i'm gonna go to bed and tomorrow will be a better day yeah so often it's that right often you're just like this i still feel like shit uh but just gonna go to sleep now and you know like i said you'll have the dark moments and you just know that there's light at the end of the time well, i'm glad you you have that thing at least to bring you back yeah. to baseline you've had it for a while man since i've yeah. i've known you for a while and you've kind of been talking about that for at least a few years now it's like yeah man i love i love to just run to reset yeah. Which is really good. Um, getting back to, uh, I know this has been kind of all over the place, but like I told you, it's just a conversation, yeah, right? This is good. Getting back to um, uh, talking about what it's like up in the north in these in these um, remote regions and stuff. What's something that like took you by surprise that you really didn't know much about, or 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 really like took you by surprise, like oh my god, like I didn't know it's like this, other than. The whole food scarcity and, and, yeah, and yeah. this and that. Hmm. Good question. I, you know, there's a few things. I mean, first of all, the cool thing when you first land, the first obvious thing is visual. Like, the architecture of houses is totally different. Right. Uh, 
so if you've ever been to Newfoundland, like all the houses are like bright colors. Okay. So the like, red house, green house, like you never see that in the city, right? Everybody's got their kind of like... <laughs> Suburban, same kind of yeah, looking house. Like, yeah, beige, <laughs> yeah. gray, uh, whatever. There's nothing fancy about most, and it's glass and stainless steel or whatever. In the north, it's all like wood construction, and it's brightly colored, and I think that's pretty cool. Um, but as far as like what, what actually kind of shocked me... Um, I'm, I'm trying to think back I to could that give time you one. I could give you one that shocked me, and I've never been there, okay. but it was told to me, yeah. is that uh, a lot of places, it's like prohibition, they don't sell alcohol, you can't... Yeah, dry communities, there's lots dry of dry communities. communities. Up there. I didn't know that existed. Yeah. That blew my mind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and so because they're self-governed, right, they get to decide basically whatever rules they want to set for their for themselves, right, yeah. which is, first of all, great, uh, and... and um, yeah, some communities have just voted to say, you know what, we don't want any alcohol, no liquor. So it's illegal it can to become possess. such a problem there. Right. So then the RCMP is still the police there, uh, and uh, and you can get arrested for for being in possession of, of alcohol. So that's crazy. Yeah. Um, so it creates like this black market for alcohol. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, oh, I people guess people are still gonna try to get fucked up. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. It, it, the price goes up, right? It creates an illicit market. Uh, uh, you know, unfortunately. That that's how it is, right? If there's a demand of any kind, someone is going to create a supply, right? Absolutely. And, and that's what a lot of these communities are challenged by is like that whole question, right? Like, do you make it illegal, or do you try to control it? it like, it, it is because that substance abuse is such a challenging thing, right? Mm -hmm. And it's intricately tied to to mental health, right? And and um, quality of life in other areas, like right. you mentioned. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So. So, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty shocking. I guess the, the big, big thing that I realized was that there's just a totally different, like, lifestyle. It, it almost, in a way, feels like, well, uh, in a way, it's like a different place in the world. It feels like you're totally in a different country or in a different place when you're up there. Uh, because this remoteness kind of has, ch challenges people to actually live differently and think differently about stuff. Because you can't just go out and oh I need something I, I know I can just Amazon Prime it to myself yeah right like that just I so you can have money in your bank account and you need something and you just can't get it yeah right so you got to think like very um uh for about your subsistence right like you have to think conservatively about stuff yeah exactly yeah. so like they have to can stuff you know months in advance and they need it and then have a reserve just in case Jeez, the flight doesn't come in and you know stuff like that yeah because these flights right like that's another thing they're, right. they're not often like the flights don't go there's not daily like fucking hourly flights that go up to the, ch the challenge is just like if there's a blizzard a blizzard can be like a day a blizzard can also you know impact an airport for like two three days so what happens during that time when like the plane is the lifeline right so if there's no plane for three days how do you, like, the, the store shelves just go bare, right? How do you bring new stuff in? Jeez, That's the only man. way. People uh, ration their food and have everything, like... Exactly, yeah. God damn, yeah. That's, that's tough. And then, what are the most common jobs out there? Like, well, like I, obviously, there's the, you know, the standard jobs that people do and stuff, but what's, what's something that surprised you that people do out there for money? I, I've actually learned a lot. There, there's people who live, like, a more traditional lifestyle, I think, is, is really cool. Like, you can... If you get to know people who are hunters, fishermen, you can learn a lot from them. Right. Because they have a different view on life. They actually live off the land. Exactly. And and their whole kind of way of thinking is, is really, really cool. And um, the way they view the world is cool because it's it's way more like 
you know, an interdependency, right, between land and what, like, nature provides you and, and you and your life, right? So it's, I mean, before I started this company, I had never really, like, grown all that much food of my own, right? Like, we just buy everything off the shelf, and that's what most people, you know, have well, these we're days. we're so removed from, yeah. like, feeding ourselves and, and meat and, and food in the grocery stores. You just, yeah. you just grab it and go. Exactly. You don't think about where it came from and what had to happen for it to get here. Yeah. Yeah, but these people, they they see it intimately, right? Like, they need to, you know, uh, kill what they eat, right, every day. And they've always had that. And so that's pretty cool, talking to people um, about about their view on the world and whatnot um, is really eye-opening. And um, and I think they've got it more figured out than, than Southerners who go to the grocery store do, for sure. Damn. No, yeah. No, Powerful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they, you know, I, I was talked to someone yesterday or the day before where it was just, you know, if the Europeans had come and actually like wanted to learn from yeah. indigenous populations I wonder where we'd be like we'd oh, be in a much more positive definitely, place definitely. because they actually had the, a lot of the answers that we're just only now learning right right like environmentalism and hey we can't just like uh, mine coal for 200 years and burn it and we're fine you know like we need to take care of you know our resources um, and there's a finite amount of it. So how do you allow for regeneration and all that? And so they had all the answers to that. hundred for millennia. Oh, right? yeah. They use so every just... single part of an animal when they kill it. Exactly. Everything. Right. That's right. one thing that stuck with me that I learned in elementary school about certain... Um, yeah. Uh, what's the right word to use? Aboriginal? Yeah. Indigenous? Aboriginal indigenous? I don't know the right word yeah. these days. Uh, indigenous populations, like when they're hunting for food and whatnot, yeah. they will use every bit of the animal yeah and they only hunt for what they need only for what they need it's right. not like i'm just gonna kill for the sake of killing a bunch of animals yeah and it's almost that's like just a ritual, one example right? but yeah yeah it's, it's almost like a ritual like they they just recognize that this is like a, a blessing to have these animals like feed us and, and uh that kind of stuff so um a lot we can learn from that for sure man yeah yeah and it's definitely been like a change for me too you know having the chance to interact with people like that all the time it's it's uh I'm pretty pretty lucky, and it's. it's what are cool. some of the changes you've made in your life personally? I just you know I think we we all need to be more conscious of the amount of waste that we produce. Yeah. Like everything that we do every day creates so much waste, and all you have to do is like for a few days, like don't throw anything out in the trash, like carry a bag with you or something, just to realize like right. how much waste you you oh, actually so create as a person yeah so bad yeah and it's it's not <clears throat> plastic and all that it's just in general everything right? like we, yeah everything i had a guest on alicia yeah. um and she was talking about how um she did this 30-day challenge where she um she collected everything that she would have to throw out yeah. in the garbage and she carried the mason jar with her everywhere and like collected all the all the all the trash that could not be recycled or, or, or whatever. And she was able to only barely fill up one in a whole month. I would Jeez. fuck that up before breakfast. <laughs> yeah, I was like, going to say. Like, I would not be able to, to do that. But, like, she challenges that. She's like, yeah, no, you can. Everyone can. Yeah. We can all do better. And I'm yeah. really bad. I, I, I got to work on it, too. But, yeah, man, hearing this kind of stuff, it, it, it you got to be more mindful about it because... It's so easy to just go about life not thinking about it at all, man. Just yeah, yeah. Future generations are going to have to pay the price. Yeah. Yeah, so there's that, and then I, th I think I've been more conscious, too, of, like, the types of 
purchases that I'm making, like which, if, if I have a choice between two things, like which company and, and, cause you end up voting with your wallet, right? At the end of the day, as a consumer, you, you don't realize it maybe, but as soon as you put your credit card down, uh, you know, you just voted in favor and you just supported, you know, that company's principles, right? So, yeah. um, wherever I can, it's, it's, you know, yeah, you pay a premium maybe for something that is more sustainable or whatnot, but is that, is that better in the long run? So, right. so love yeah. it, man. Yeah. Um, let's get back to grocer for a second and, uh, and, and talk about your experience going on Dragon's Den. Yeah. I think the people want to hear about this because I was super hyped to found out, find out that you first got on it and then, you know, I was watching the episode even earlier today again and seeing how you guys did. I don't know if, I guess we could talk about the yeah. experience, right? Yeah. But talk to me about that. How, how did you go about it? How, what's the process like and, and how was it? Yeah, so it's, it's pretty crazy how simple it was. Uh, they do auditions across the country and they just stop by all these hotels in, in every major city. Uh, so that we saw online, they were, I guess, targeting us with ads or something because we saw, hey, we're in town on Saturday, uh, do auditions and come out and introduce yourself to our producers. And so, you know, funny enough, the day of, I call Lita, I'm like, hey, are we still doing this thing? And she's like, oh, I, don't, like I don't know if I'm really feeling it. Like, you know, are we ready for that? And for and like, besides, you know, it's been a long week, you know, it's a Saturday, I kind of want to take it easy. Uh, and I was like, okay, come on, let's just do it. Worst case, it's an hour of our time. Mm-hmm. We'll go for lunch afterwards. It's like 9 a.m. or whatever, 10 a.m. Go for lunch afterwards and then uh, and then see how it goes. Turns out we present. She's like, oh, this is cool. You guys are students? We're like, yep. She's like, okay, cool. There's a student special. We'll look at that for you guys and call you back in a few months. Uh, two months later, we get a call back. They're like, yep, we, we want you on the show. You're fit. Um, I think it was because we were students. Like, on our, without that... I don't know. I think it was more than that, bro. Yeah, just being I, humble, no, man. But I, I, I think that was a big part of it. Because yeah, yeah. definitely when we were like, oh, yeah, and by the way, we're students. Like, I went, oh, shit, that's really cool. Um, so we got onto the student special, which is one episode a season. is all student businesses, current students that are doing business full time on, in addition to their studies. And the, there's a lot of backstory. So I'll, I'll make a long story a, a bit shorter. We... Uh, we actually took apart an actual grocery unit, like went into the container, cut a shelf out, loaded that onto a truck, and drove the truck with live plants down to Toronto. So if you watch the episode, <laughs> like a those... U-Haul, you just rented a truck and just... <laughs> exactly. And we were driving this thing on Front Street, okay, in downtown yeah. Toronto at yeah. 5 p.m. on a work day. Shit. So there's we're up like high in a truck, and like, dude, I, I can't even believe I can do that with a driver's license, like a normal driver's license. I feel I need more training. Uh, but anyway, you're allowed to just rent these big trucks and, uh, we're driving down front street. All these people are walking around us and we're in this massive cube van, um, going to the CBC studios. So if you watch the episode, those plants are actually two days old and they've all died. Uh, (laughs) they look fine in the episode. They made it look good. It's TV magic. But the, what I forgot or what they didn't tell us to be fair. And what we forgot was, uh, um, on a TV set, you're not allowed water. Like you can't have buckets of water because there's a flat floor and if any water spills, it'll like fry all the batteries and oh, lights and equipment that's on the floor. Shit, never knew that. So we were like, <laughs> bringing our like shelf in with a full tank of water to like flow through the plants. And they're like, buddy, you can't do that. Like this is a TV set. And we said, okay, well, 
then the plants are gonna look like shit tomorrow. Yeah. Start filming at six a.m. and the plants are just like totally flat. Had we been able to give them a few we hours of water, started filming were, at six a.m. Yeah, yeah. So the the um, the taping we were the first on set because it was such a setup, and they built us like a fake container to go around the shelf to make it look good for TV and stuff. And uh, so we set it up the night prior, and usually they want like the set to switch mm -hmm. between pictures, uh, you know, five six minutes. So we had to be first, and then uh, yeah, it was super early in the morning. I'm not a morning person, like you know, so it was a, <laughs> it was a bitch. But <laughs> and so when you meet the dragon, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Uh, is this genuinely the first time you're meeting them when oh, yeah. you come come on, or do you get to meet them before nothing? No, no, you're in a prep room mm -hmm. with a bunch of other pitchers who are not the people on your episode. They're just random okay. order, whoever was able to make it for that filming session. And okay, so that sorry to yeah, interrupt. Yeah. It's not like in order. In order. No, at all. It's just random. They film the whole season, and it's crazy, man. Like apparently they're doing these like twelve or fifteen hours film days. So the dragons are sitting in their chair for that long, seeing like. 30 pitches go in front of them. Because they're busy too. They're, they're not sitting too. here like booking whole days to just film. Yeah, and it's like three weeks straight or whatnot. It was multiple weeks. I don't remember the exact number, but where all the dragons do nine to five or probably nine to nine, frankly, um, you know, uh, watch pitches all day and then three weeks straight, then they film the whole block and then it's done. And then they edit for a few weeks and then and then it gets, it gets released. But right. no, yeah, you walk into the set that thing where, you know, every episode they start you off where you're walking that catwalk and you walk down the stairs, that is genuinely the first time you see the dragons. Cool, man. You walk into the set, you don't see them because it's all blocked off. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and yeah, it's really, really cool to, to see it on TV. It's like this. Like, you see it online and you're like, okay, this is cool. And then you walk in and you realize, like, wow, this set has all these things that are kind of hidden that yeah. make it look the way it does. Yeah, that you don't see. Yeah. Because it's edited and they got the music and the shadows. And yeah, yeah. They, they create this, like, I mean, it's TV magic, really. They create this, like, depth perception that this ma this is a massive set. And it's actually not very big at all. It's not? No. I thought it's huge. No, it's really not. I thought it's a warehouse, like a big-ass abandoned warehouse. I, they just fucking started... No, it's a it's a high-rise in downtown Toronto, on, like, across from the Ripley's, basically, the CBC okay. studio. That's no right. way, like, right to see a tower. Yeah. Pfft, yeah. That's nuts. Yeah, so they're they're right on Front Street there, and uh, uh, anyway, yeah, it's, it's really surprising <laughs> how much, like, TV magic goes on, you know, and then behind the scenes, you're just like, yeah, this is... This is how it looks. How like long really. does it take from start to finish the the Taping. filming? Uh, I think we did forty five minutes or so, okay. and then our, our final segment, maybe sixty minutes. Our final segment was five, six. Wow. Yeah. So there's a lot that's cut out. Right. And uh, and the funny thing is, it takes a long while from taping to like live airing. Right? And you so. get to have legit conversations with these dragons. Oh yeah. Like the, and there's because I could tell watching it. Yeah. There's a lot more going on here, a lot more explanation, yeah. a lot, and they just probably cut out the hypest parts, man. Yeah, like cool. I wanted to hear so much more about like the story and why. And they're just like, yeah, man, how much do you want? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they asked, but they did ask all that, right? Yeah. They got that story, and uh, it's whatever is you know good for TV. It's it's all about you know Jeez, making man. the viewer like. I wish keeping, you could access the behind the scenes, like yeah, yeah, and watch the. the do full. you get that? No, 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 we no. don't. We don't. Yeah. I don't even know if it's possible. I'm sure they still must have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah yeah, a lot of stuff ends up on the cutting room floor, right? Like the editor mm -hmm. takes it out and makes it a good good clip so that people will stay interested. So. Yeah. But talking about the actual experience uh, again, though, you crushed it. Uh, you and Alita both did so well. You were so composed. Like, you, 
at least in what I saw. Yeah. You guys were so cool, and you you look so collected, and I know inside your head, you're uh, freaking the fuck out. Oh, yeah. You got these fucking millionaire dragons. billionaires in front of you, and yeah. these dragons, and, uh, you know, but, you know, you had gone in knowing that, you know, you didn't really necessarily want to have a deal with them. Uh, this was more of a PR thing, which is really, like, not surprising, but people don't realize about Dragon's Den is, like, most people are doing that, right? Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's a great way to get in front of a lot of people, right, on TV, and it, it's kind of a, it's a hype for your company, right? So we knew, as you said, like, going into it that, um, you know, we, we really just kind of wanted to, to promote ourselves, right? And this is, there's no cost to doing Dragon's Den in Canada. Um, and so we said, you know what, let's just, let's just do this and see where we go. And, uh, and we did get an offer on, on the set, which on the show we, we accepted. And, uh, that was with Arlene and, and Lane, Lane Merrifield. Yeah. So yeah. we, we never uh, actually went to the step of actually evaluating that offer and pursuing it. We, you know, accepted it on TV. We did get the written offer. Uh, but at that point in time, we just told their teams that we were not going to uh, consider it. Um, which, you know, at the end of the day. As an entrepreneur, you respect them as you know fellow entrepreneurs that have done really uh, well for themselves and had really great careers. Uh, but it, it is for TV, right? So mm -hmm. from from you know peers I know who've done the show that have actually taken an offer, usually what the dragons will do is like you start from scratch basically because you take the offer on TV and that's all for TV. Yeah. And then what happens is you can go to them and say, listen, that was just sort of like the numbers we gave for TV. Here are are real numbers, and yeah. then they do their due diligence with their teams and yeah. whatnot. And so then, it take a few months to actually yeah. sort of get to that, that final... Uh, That's why the one thing show. I do really, really enjoy about that show is seeing the updates yeah, with later. people who actually went and did the deals because... Yeah. yeah and, and I know that those are probably the only few that actually really did go through. Yeah. But yeah. That's a, that's, it's still a great show, and it, it gets a lot of people really hyped up about business and entrepreneurship, and it's kind of like... It's an accolade. It is. In, yeah. in, in a weird way, it's like, okay, now we're, we're legit. We yeah. went on Dragon's Den. Yeah. And, you know, as much as, you know, it's for TV and it's fluffed up and this and that, like, it's still really cool, man, that you're able to do that. And I enjoyed the episode. And even some of the other pitches on that show were really great. Yeah. And I bet your parents got a kick out of it, too. Like, yeah, it was a lot know. of fun. We, we had a... So we filmed this in May 2018 uh, or so, and we, we uh, had a... Um, it went on air in J uh, January 2019, and uh, and we had a big like uh, viewing party when yeah, it came on. I remember, and that was fun because yeah. I got to bring up my parents. Alita had her parents. Our whole team had their families, uh, you know, friends, folks who had been supporters of us for day one. Like that first banker from BDC that took a chance on it so on a bunch of kids and gave us that loan. Yeah. Like all those people, we got to for the first time actually properly thank for everything that they did for us. So. Uh, so that was fun, right? Those kind of things as a business, you don't have that many opportunities to like have a thank you to them as a community, right? Because it, yeah. it really takes a village to build a, a business. It really does, man. And, and you've had a lot of support. Um, what's, what's next in terms of the marketing and, and the growing the side of things? Because this is not a business you're selling to people, how do you how do you market a business like this? And Dragon's Den was a great step, but what's next? What are you doing? Yeah, Dragon's Den was kind of a we wanted to build just name recognition, right? So people are like, oh, grocer, I think I I think I might have seen that on TV. So that that helps, right? Because you're not starting from you know ground zero. ground zero at uh, 
uh, with conversations, so they kind of know. Uh, but when it comes to um, to conversations that uh, that we're having with people, how we find them is usually how you, you know a lot of people do enterprise marketing. So it's like case studies, right? Examples of how other people are doing this, and then showing it to people who are similar or have similar needs, right? So being able to say, hey, this you know group over here, this nonprofit used a grocery to do this way, and this is the results that they got. Feel free to call them, right? Talk mm. to our customers uh, about their experience and see if this would be something you'd be interested in. That is really uh, helpful. Uh, and then lots of trade shows, uh, magazines, like industry magazines and stuff that we that we promote ourselves in. Right. Uh, just to kind of, you know, within the target market that we're pursuing, where are those people um, gathering, I guess, is what the, the question you ask yourself. And then you pursue marketing in that area very specifically i love that man and the trade shows and the magazines yeah. and that kind of stuff and and from from the dragon's den experience i bet you've got some phone calls or some some emails oh yeah with some interest about this so yeah all in all you talk about it being free and you talk about ah yeah you didn't really want to do it at first or lita didn't really want to do it at first but it worked out yeah it was a pretty cool a pretty cool experience and like so uh, how do you now take it and go to the next level which leading into my next question kind of is it's this problem's a lot bigger than Canada right how do you go global that's like the question of the century or the question of like uh, the year I guess for us yeah is, is that's the, the quite literally the question we're asking ourselves because I want to watch you on Shark Tank yeah that would be fun <laughs> that was not free that is not free that was not free but so. that's a yeah. lot of more eyeballs I'll yeah, tell you I that I know that'd be fun yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> well I guess uh, the way we're seeing it right now is you know what where is the current product at that we we don't want our markets that we can immediately serve right where we don't need to make product changes so going to like a desert climate would require us to like do some re-engineering and, and redo certain things so we're not quite there yet something we're working on uh, but you know, other markets that are cold, import all their food, have a lot of seasonality. Like Go to Greenland, man. There you go. Dude, so, Greenland be hype. Yeah, so it's markets like that, that like how do we get into spaces like that, right, yeah. is, is where we're starting. And uh, so it's, we're picking the low-hanging fruit to start. Uh, but how we do it, man, if you knew the answer to that, <laughs> if anybody knows the answer to that, you've got a job. Yeah, but, uh, for sure, man. Yeah. Apply to Grocer.com. Grocer.com? <laughs> Grocer.ca. Grocer.ca. Yeah. I like yeah. that. I like that. Um, dude, this has been an amazing conversation so far. I've really enjoyed it. Um, what are some of the next steps for Corey Ellis, man? What, is there anything else you're working on or anything aside from Grocer, obviously, um, that you're working on or you're, you know, kind of a side project or anything that, you know, you've got going on that you want to talk about? You know, not really, frankly. Like, I mean, so... The right. guy's all in, folks. The guy, He's you, all you, in. And that's what I was going to say. you got to kind of pick your horses, right? And, yeah. and there's something to be said about, like, just focus on doing one thing and do it really, really well. I like well. the tunnel vision aspect, man. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, there's there's not any new projects that are coming out anytime soon, but it's going to be, you know, let's let's kind of bring grocery to that next level, attract really smart people, world-class people that will get us to that sort of next level of growth uh, and that next stage. Um, and, and that'll be probably the next couple of years at least to really see this hyper growth. Oh, yeah. uh, we're we're kind of getting I'm into excited, it. man. Yeah, we're getting into it right now. I'm excited. And it'll be a couple or three years at least of really fast growth for the company, which is really exciting. Um, and then who knows after that? I mean, yeah. at some point, you know, this company will probably 
grow beyond you know my capacities and and we'll bring in fresh leadership maybe it would make sense to uh to partner or you know merge with companies that uh, that are able to even you know bring this to more markets and help more people so absolutely at some point um you know that'll be something that we look at but uh, for now we're just focused on hey bring in more money through the front door absolutely uh, growing the business and, and growing the headcount i love it man you know grocer is making an amazing impact you and alita have done an amazing job Thanks, and man. i could sit and talk to you here about it forever but if you believe it like we've already gone over like an hour and 10 minutes Wow, crazy. <laughs> I, I love this man it's fun uh, let's let's get to our lightning round and then uh, we'll have to close off the podcast but this is just quickly uh, five questions uh, but you don't have to answer them quickly or anything like this just it's not so, that so deep <laughs> just, 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 I just came I like up it. with random questions that I, I find it's easier to end the podcast than saying alright get out of my apartment <laughs> <laughs> right um, so number one What's one social enterprise that's not grosser uh, that you think more people need to know about? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, and the social enterprise that more people need to know about. Um, something that interests you or something you've heard about that's like, oh, that's cool. That... Yeah, I'm trying to pick a good one. Because, I mean, there, you have the obvious ones. Like, you have... Um, I can, I can, I, not a specific social enterprise. I think um, co-ops like Mech are huge, yeah. right? So you look at a company like Mech or Patagonia that really kind of pursue a vision but can scale, right? Mm. That, that's to me is exciting. So it's not someone people may, may not know about, but it's one that I think people need to support as much as they can. Love it. Because it's because cool to now see you, it scale. You're, every, everyone who's a customer is a part of the business. Right, it's exactly. cooperative in that aspect. I like yeah. that. Yeah. If you could um, get the permits and land space in Ottawa... Would you live in a shipping container or a couple of shipping containers stacked on top of each other? Heck yeah. <laughs> Man, have you seen what you're able to do with Yes. You can just do a quick Google search. It Bad is ass. crazy. Dude, yeah. I would. It's really nice. They're like they're, they're like full out houses, like nice a nice house. Like yeah. You can make it all luxury and nice inside, great insulation. I would definitely do it, but I don't know. Like, Same here. Maybe you're just done with shipping containers. <laughs> You've been involved with them so much. Like, I'm, I know, man. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm not tired of it. That's hype. Um, one product or service you simply can't live without? Mm, Spotify. Spotify. Yeah. That keeps you in your groove, huh? Yeah, yeah. Gotta have those fire beats. Exactly. And, and like, I don't, I don't listen to the radio anymore. Like, that's that's my source for everything, right? And podcasts as well are all on Spotify. There you go. Corey's uh, always listening to it's not that deep, man. <laughs> it's on repeat. It's just like always going, man. So every time a new episode comes out, that's it's. A, He's the first guy to hit me with feedback. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, great answer. Um, favorite restaurant or bar in Ottawa? Ooh. Okay, so favorite restaurant, um, hmm, favorite bar has got to be Blue Cactus. <laughs> there you go, man. You can't go wrong with, with uh, $10 triples. There you go. Uh, oh, man. Favorite restaurant. Ooh, they're done that. There's a great restaurant close to where I work. It's called Bar Lupulis on Wellington Street, okay. and it is pretty hype. I, the chef does a really great job there, um, and yeah, they do some cool shit. Like, they kind of go out and test things, and I like that, so... Yeah, I like that. Bliss has got to be the I like place. that when chefs take chances. Yeah, exactly. Like, and and they're always they're always like safe, not safe chances, but they're they land. You know, like it's not just a chance, and it it's like what it hits, is this? It, it hits. just hits every time. Yeah. Right. Last question: Who's your favorite dragon on Dragon's Den? Oh, I can't say that. <laughs> you got it, man. You got it. 
you know, to be honest, I, I've got to go with my boy Jim. Yeah, Jim, the OG. Yeah, I yeah. love it. I love nah, Jim, he's, man. He's so down to earth, and, like, you can tell he's just a great guy, right? He and, is, man. And even getting to meet him and stuff and talk to him, uh, you know, we didn't take his offer, so that will forever be, you know, if, <laughs> if he's watching, you know, or, or listening, that's not, it was nothing personal. Uh, but, but no, Jim's got to be the guy that, you know, um, that I go with just because uh, ah, I feel yeah. like he's most like me. Yeah, dude, he just, he's just like, yeah, I'll give you what you're looking for. Right. I, he's just, all the time. Yeah. And he's the one who shape. actually like gives people money. So many people don't. Yeah. Love it, man. Uh, quickly tell people where they can find you. How they can hit you up about Grocer and, and Grocer's website. Give a quick shout out. Right on. Uh, yeah, so our, our Grocer website is grocer.ca. So our pun is G R O W C E R.ca. Grow. Exactly. <laughs> That's what it is. And uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, Corey underscore W underscore Ellis. Uh, so you can find me there or reach out on the website. I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not hard to get a hold of. So yeah. There you go. There it is. You might be uh, not hard to get a hold of, but you are hard to get a podcast. In, so <laughs> I'm true. very happy I'm we were able to do, do this, this, brother. Yeah. Uh, just remember, folks, it's not that deep. And thank you for listening. I really enjoyed that conversation and I hope you did as well. If you're getting any kind of value from this content and want to help me make it grow, please share on all social media, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, contribute to my Patreon page and check out my website. It's not that deep podcast.com.